0: I don't even know what to say about this. I feel like I'm trying to think about something that, How about that came like, up
1: really Hey, I'm Glennon Green.
0: I know, but like, you know, I want to introduce Okay, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> hey there. I'm Glennon Green.
1: And this is Daniel Biss.
0: And we are your co-hosts of Ill Informed
1: a podcast about Illinois government and politics and what we can all do to make it better.
0: We are pulling back the curtain on all of the things that are happening down in Springfield. The good, the bad, the ugly.
1: And today, (laughs) we're talking especially about the ugly.
0: (laughs) For real, y'all. That's real. I told my nephew, Alex, he just turned 26
1: today. I said, Alex, you know, I called him for his birthday, and I said, it's just too bad you're not four years older, because I could have given you a U.S. Senate seat for your birthday. Illinois is probably the heavyweight champion of corruption of a in that sense. If it isn't the most corrupt state in the United States, States, it's certainly one hell of a 17 felony convictions, or as that's known, a Chicago dozen. <laughs> so, corruption.
0: It's a big topic. Why... Why did we choose to talk about corruption this week, Daniel? Why are we talking about it now?
1: I think we had to talk about it at some point. Right. Do you agree with that?
0: I do agree with that. Because the state is corrupt?
1: Well, we'll get there. We'll, we'll learn that okay. before the pod- <laughs> podcast is over. But I do think that people feel that way. I feel right. like people talk about it. People are cynical about it. People write about it. It's like, the, you know, if you go tell your friends from out of state that you're from Illinois, they're going to talk either about violence or locking up governors.
0: Right. Literally. Right. Like that is the first thing that both at the state level and, and, and at the local level. I remember when I first uh, moved to Chicago. I thought, like, the Windy City was, like, called the Windy City because it was really windy. But then Chicagoans would be like, no, it's because, like, hot air politics and, like, corruption and all of these things. And I'm like, really? Really?
1: Have you heard that? I've heard that. I feel like it's really windy in Chicago. Too. It is
0: really windy. What I was just saying, like, I feel like there's some kind of connection to corruption here. You following me? Like, I know. I, with, okay. I'm, I've heard that a okay. million times. Great, I, I great. believe it
1: that it's true. I just, it seems, anyways. And I think that that story is actually really telling that the nickname of the city that's been around for a long time. Right. right since long before Rob Lagojevich or George Ryan went to jail. Right. That was something about a broken type of politics. Right, right. What I thought was is so tricky about this <laughs> is that everyone he, hears the word corruption and thinks different things.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: And I feel like it's something that we all kind of believe that we know about. And so we don't necessarily ask tough questions about what are we really talking about here?
0: So when I think about corruption, I think about like somebody or something just – Operating in and of itself, like to its own in self-interest, essentially um, to achieve a means that's not necessarily for any greater good or benefit, right? And that's exactly real. right. I think. Yeah. I
1: think. I mean, to, if if I had to give a definition, it would be the replacement of the public interest with the private interest. Right. But but I do think these definition things are are tricky. I mean, so when when we were planning this episode, we were going back and forth. Right. In a in a Google Doc. And, <laughs> and this funny thing happened that I, I wrote out this story of something that I had experienced as a legislator. Mm-hmm. And our producer, Casey, was like, hey, Daniel, that's kind of a good story. But are mm-hmm. you sure you're not like are you willing to tell that really a, damning yeah. story about yourself right. in public? It's kind of embarrassing. And I was like, dude, I'm proud of that one. That's, that's the good part, not the bad part. So
0: now you have to tell the story because I, now everybody's probably like, what's the story? What's I'm the story? S- yeah, here okay. we are.
1: Right. Okay. Um, so here's the story. OK. I spent two years of my life trying to pass a bill. It was called the Secure Choice Retirement Savings Program to create a retirement plan for mm-hmm. a bunch of Illinois workers. And it was a long, complicated story. And finally, we're like an inch before the finish line. We've got our last vote in the Senate coming up. And we were one vote shy. Mm-hmm. And, and time's running out, and this is the moment we got to do this thing. It's, like, late November of 2014. How many votes
0: did you need for that? We need
1: 30 because there's 59 senators, so a simple okay. majority is 30. Okay. We had 29 locked down.
0: All
1: right. We needed one more. All right. And there was one guy, Iris Silverstein, who's a senator, um, represents kind of part of the north side of the north suburbs. Okay. Uh, and he was a no, but I thought— Maybe I could get him because his wife, Deborah, was then and still is alderman of the 50th Ward. Mm -hmm. And she was going to be up for re-election in just a couple months. And I knew that he was interested in kind of helping her look good. And Pat Quinn was the governor. He was going to be governor for just a couple more months. Yeah. And he really wanted to pass the bill too. So Quinn's already lost his election to round. He's he's walking out the door trying to get one last achievement in under the wire basically. Mm -hmm. So I, I walked Ira to Pat Quinn's office in the Capitol building and I pushed him inside and I released his body and I closed the door. So it was just the two of them in the office. And I don't know exactly what they talked about. But what I know is that Ira voted for my bill. Mm. And my understanding mm. is some project got built in the 50th Ward and, you know, the incumbent alderman got to brag about the Good things that were happening in the 50th Ward.
0: Wow. So I think like – so I guess a key important part of the story is to note like the governor was in favor of your bill.
1: Yeah, I didn't have the tools to cut this kind of deal on my own. I had right. to have somebody else but do it, it for but me. But it was Basically. definitely like
0: that was something that he also supported and stood behind. And like well, wh- where was Ira before you walked him over to the office?
1: Uh, so this was the last vote on this bill. We'd voted on that this bill the first time. Um, quite a long time before. And the first time we voted on it, Ira voted no, or present. So Ira Ira had already been against the bill in the past. Right, right, right. And... But the problem is one of the people who'd been for it had flipped to no, so I had to find somebody else to flip to yes, and Ira was going to be the one.
0: But I think—OK, okay, so I think this, like, makes a little bit of a difference, though. Like, where where was his state when you walked him to the office? Like, was he on the fence? Like, ah, oh, you know, maybe I could be convinced.
1: Well, I think what had really happened is he had promised the lobbyists for the life insurance industry who were against me that he was going to do what they wanted. Uh, and he had to be persuaded to break that promise. Bingo. I think that's what actually was going on.
0: OK, OK. That's that's a big deal. Like that changes the game a little bit. Does that right? does that make
1: it seem more or less corrupt to you? N-
0: that's a good question. No. He did for his wife. <laughs> <laughs> That's all love. I don't, you know, (laughs) (laughs) the crazy things we do for love.
1: (laughs) It's a surprising Um, section of their wedding vows, actually. Right.
0: But I do think that there is something to that in terms of, like, if somebody was already on the fence or somebody had what convincing—in terms of, like, what's at stake and what was negotiated behind closed doors. So do you know, like, what— you don't know what was
1: negotiated. There's two things that are, that are interesting about this. One is I don't know exactly what got offered. Okay. I just, I knew that I knew going in sort of what type of offer was going to work. And I had warned the governor about that. And so, I mean, the bottom line is the incumbent alderman who was married to this guy I was talking to wanted right. to brag about something when right. she was running for reelection just a few months after. Right, right, right. The other thing, which is not really relevant to our story, but it's just interesting, is that when he walked out of the room, he didn't like shake my hand and say, all right, you got me. He wouldn't make eye contact, and he bolted. And I like, chased him around the Capitol for the next two and a half hours before the vote came up, and he wouldn't actually look me in the eye and say, I'm with you. So he didn't really want to be Which with is, you. Weird, right? usually, that is weird, right? Because usually, Usually the awkward conversations are the folks who are against you, not right. the ones who are with you. It, it turns out he didn't want to say out loud he was going to vote for the bill because he was worried that the word would get back to the lobbyist who he promised he would be against the bill. And they would ah. find him and flip him back again. Yeah. He didn't trust himself to stay on my side for long enough unless he took a vow of silence. Wow.
0: <laughs> I don't even—wow. Okay, so, like, <laughs> there, there, there's so many layers to this. I don't even know where to, where to start. Okay, so I guess I'll just start here. Um, would you classify or would you categorize that is, as corruption or a form of corruption?
1: Damn it, Glenn. So I was going to ask you that question. Uh, nope,
0: got you first. <laughs> um,
1: so I would. The answer is no. I think the fact that the, the fact that it wasn't really him. I was sort of cutting a deal with two different people at once, who mm-hmm. happened to marry each other, is an extra kind of weird layer. But I, I don't
0: know, man. That's a that's a slippery slope there. Like slippery slope. You're just, just sticky. Sticky fences. I don't. That's not a thing. I just made that up.
1: Is it like a slippery slope to polygamy? What? what? No.
0: What? What? No. A slippery slope to corruption and more <laughs> corruption. That's what it's a slippery slope, too. But I think you're so now now I'm curious. I want to, like, deconstruct your mind. So, like, in your mind, you don't process this as corruption because you didn't personally cut a deal.
1: Oh, no, that has nothing. I, I think that's irrelevant. Okay. I, I I take no credit for having not been physically in the room.
0: So, but you, there was someone who was against a bill before, based on the track record. You walked them into an office with the governor. They came out of the office with the governor being for this bill and also subsequently getting benefits for their ward. And that's not corruption?
1: Exactly. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and so. In
0: what world?
1: So that I think this is this is exactly the conversation we need to be having. I love this. So so here is what happened. Okay. He made a decision to do a thing in his role as state senator, vote a certain way on a bill, and in exchange the governor agreed to do a government project, you know, do some construction project in the fifty-four. Like 50 you scratch board. my back, I scratch your back. It's it's you scratch my back, I scratch your back. But in particular, it's you scratch your back with your government issued back scratcher, and I'll scratch your back with my government issued back scratcher. In other words, they're they were trading favors. <laughs> No? You just
0: said the exact same thing that I just said, only with government issued backscratcher scratcher included. Twice, <laughs> twice, twice. <laughs> as if it made it any better. That's the whole point. <laughs> that's the
1: entire the the producer of the back scratching device is, is the whole is the, like the whole point here. I, I,
0: but I, I want to. There's a question that you keep skating around: Is this or is this not corruption? And where is the line?
1: Right. So that's that's what I'm trying to answer. Okay. Is not corruption. Because the deal that's getting cut is a deal about two actions that are government actions being done on behalf of the people. Ira goes in there and cuts a deal saying, I'm going to vote for the bill Mm -hmm. in exchange for something. Right. If he had said, I'm going to vote for the bill in exchange for you lining up a campaign contribution for me. Private interests. Dude's in jail.
0: OK, gotcha.
1: If he said... I'm going to vote for the bill in exchange for you giving me personally something or maybe you hooking up my niece with a job. Dude's in jail. Gotcha. But if he says, you know, the act of governing is all about kind of cobbling together compromises and, you know, I really think that what's good for the people is to get this project done – and I also don't really think this bill is so great, but I think that the benefit that the people will accrue from the project getting done is greater than any kind of downside of the, of the bill getting passed. And so the package deal, when you put it together, is on net good for the people. That kind of back and forth when mm-hmm. the trading being done is different actions taken by government, mm-hmm. allegedly at least on behalf of the people, that's the kind of thing that's on the kosher side. That's
0: what corruption. makes it legal and not
1: corrupt. It's 100% what makes it legal. Right? <laughs> okay. so that's clear. That's, right. like, that's what the law says. Of course. And I think that as, as kind of well, problematic as the law is, I, I don't think that that aspect of the law is, is bad. I think that aspect of the law is appropriate. Go ahead.
0: Well, uh, just a follow-up question. What is the legal de- definition of corruption in the state of Illinois?
1: Well, there's no such thing. There's oh, no, okay. Like, that's there's good no... to know. I think of corruption as a colloquial word.
0: Okay.
1: You know, like unfairness. But there are things that are illegal.
0: Like,
1: like trading a vote on a bill for a campaign contribution. Okay,
0: that's gotcha. illegal. Right.
1: That's yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. That's that's the type be. of thing that's right. a, yeah, as a I think mean, that everyone would agree should be illegal. Right. Not I
0: mean, everyone would agree, it should, they be agree it should be illegal. Some people hope they don't get caught. <laughs> right. Exactly. But they also <laughs> like, agree should be illegal. Okay.
1: Um, yeah. So, so, like, I think what's tricky about this example, I think what's hard to swallow about it is that, yeah, maybe the project is being built in the district on behalf of the people. They're going to build an overpass or something because mm-hmm. the people want it. But wait, if we're just doing it to get someone elected, isn't that a private benefit to the person being elected? Mm-hmm. And that that's sort of a tough problem of democracy theory, right? I mean, the, the idea ought to be that if, you're, if your way of getting reelected is to govern in a way that people like, that's sort of how it's supposed to work. But it, it can feel, uh, I think, ugly and crass and sort of— um, unclean somehow. If someone right before the election rushes to do something splashy to get a certain type of attention, you know, you sort of hope people get reelected for more kind of enduring substantive reasons than that, I guess.
0: So we hear this, this funny little phrase is always thrown around quid pro quo.
1: Still not from Rome.
0: G- yes. <laughs> I can't realize it. <laughs> um, but it is. It's something that makes it into our conversations, into the books. We, I think it's loosely used and a lot of people actually don't know what it is. So like, what is it and how does it connect to this conversation about corruption?
1: Yeah. So great question. So what we've talked about so far is basically, hey, if I'm going to trade a public government act for another public government act. So that's okay. But if I'm going to trade a government act, like a vote on a bill in exchange for something private for me, something for me personally, a campaign contribution, that's off limits. Mm -hmm. And look, a lot of us hear that and are like, dude, that happens all the time. How can you tell me that? These politicians aren't supposed to be trading a vote for a campaign contribution. That that happens constantly. So why why are you claiming that's illegal? And it all rests on this question of quid pro quo, because the, what this concept of quid pro quo is, we sit down and make an explicit deal. Mm. I tell you, I'll vote for this bill if you give me that campaign contribution. You agree, and then I go vote on the bill and get the campaign contribution. If all of that can be communicated with winks and nudges, if all of that can be uh, communicated by the fact that a precedent has been established over the course of a long period of time, if all of that maybe seems totally obvious to a regular person watching it but never gets said out loud, then the thing that's being done, though I would argue it's totally corrupt, is not usually on paper illegal. And that line is unbelievably important in tracking the legal questions that arise around corruption. Got you. You look either mad about it or (laughs) or troubled
0: about it. I'm confused about it a little bit. Only, only the way that you just explained quid pro quo, and maybe everything you said just fell out of my brain as you were saying it. Um, made it seem like the way you explain what was legal is quid pro quo as long as it's like an explicit
1: agreement is no, that's not no. okay so
0: say it again in a less complicated way
1: let me not say it again cuz it didn't go so well the first time <laughs> let me tell the story
0: Thank you. That might helpful. be helpful, or it might not. So keep it keep it brief.
1: <laughs> if, it, if it goes well, if the short version is good, will you, will you have me retell it longer? Yeah,
0: no. <laughs> no, I just won't have you retell it at all. All right, excellent.
1: Um, okay, so I went to the dry cleaner to pick up my dry cleaning, because back when I was a state legislator, I had to wear a suit to Springfield all the time. Mm-hmm. It was a whole different dry cleaning life, let me tell you. Mm-hmm. And the woman, like, she's like, says, hello, and like, I'm going to go get your— you dry cleaning and I, she tells – she's rung me up already. So I think I gave her a 20 and mm-hmm. she sort of walks away and she comes back a few minutes later after having talked to her husband about it with my dry cleaning and the 20. And she gives it back and I was like, what, what do you mm-hmm. – I don't – what do you mean? I don't – why are you giving my money back? She's like, it's on the house. Don't worry about it. Hey, listen. I want to talk to you about this permit issue where we're trying to apply for some permit with the Illinois Environmental Protection Agency, mm. and there's a problem going on. And we'd really like your help with that. Uh, anyway, nice to see you. <laughs>
0: Just and, trying to get some like under the table things going on.
1: For sure. And so for the record, I paid. Okay. It's not easy, but I was able to, <laughs> to pay for my dry cleaning. But the thing that and also we helped her because that was my job, whether I'd never met her before and she'd been a stranger calling me off the street. Like my job was <laughs> to help people in my district deal with the permitting process.
0: But but to be real quick, though, like in exchange for $20, <laughs> that would have been a big favor.
1: <laughs> it, no, it was it was would have been I mean, it literally would have been if no one if there'd never been a $20 <laughs> and I hadn't been willing to do that. That would have been a fireball fence, anyway. That was, uh, yeah. that was my literal. <laughs> I job,
0: mean, I'm saying, right? right? The least but, of your I'm, I'm just, I'm
1: just, I'm but, just. But, me, but here's the point of the story. <laughs> gotcha. that, and that, that sort of freaked me out as I was thinking about it later that day. If I had kept the twenty, yeah, and also done the thing she wanted done, mm. that would have been legal. Really? Because she never said, "I'm gonna give you free dry cleaning if you're willing in exchange." To help me solve my problem. That would have been illegal. But instead, she did the totally different thing of in the space of 45 seconds being like, here's 20 bucks. Oh, and also, if you don't mind, please solve this problem for me. Wait,
0: okay, okay. So now, thank you for telling that story. I actually think it made it much more helpful. But I think, you know, what's interesting about that is... It's the same thing, but the fact that it wasn't explicitly said exactly is what is the difference is the line exactly. that makes it legal versus illegal. That is the distinction,
1: and and that is wow. the distinction that the U.S. Supreme Court has upheld like crazy. Not just with Citizens United, but for years. That before. is a
0: terrible. It's the worst distinction. Like it's that's a real thing.
1: It's the worst.
0: Let's talk about, like, how we got here.
1: So yeah, what, I, I, I think the, that's a great question. Yeah. You know, we're hearing a lot because of, you know, good old Donald Trump. We're hearing the word emoluments mm. a lot.
0: Oh, okay, oh, tell us what emoluments are. What is that?
1: So there's this clause in the Constitution, the emoluments clause, that basically says that a you know, certain collection of officials are not allowed to receive emoluments, which is basically kind of an old word for payments, from foreign governments. Meaning you can't be president and get paid by a foreign government at the same time. Right. That's exp- That specific thing that's in the constitution as illegal. The constitution doesn't say you can't get paid in exchange for something, right? The constitution doesn't say take your paycheck from Russia unless you're promising them a thing in exchange. What the constitution says is you can't get paid by Russia if you're going to be the president because... We just know that people getting paid like that is inherently corrupting, even if nobody means it. And there's this, this amazing story of Benjamin Franklin, who spent a lot of time in France during the uh, revolutionary period. He was kind of America's lead diplomat. And he developed a very, very, very close relationship with the king of France. And he was given this gift, which was a f- elaborate snuffbox with a painting of the king and there what were – What is a snuff box? It's a box to That's, hold snuff in it. I don't know. I don't,
0: like tobacco? Yeah. Snuff? Oh, yeah.
1: okay. <laughs> but it it had 408, I think, diamonds inlaid in it. It was this incredibly lavish gift. Okay. And Ben Franklin like went back to Congress and he was like, I don't know, man. What do I do? If I, if I don't accept the gift, it's – you know, somehow rude to the host. But if I take it, it's going to be corrupting. And you know that and I know that. And they had to actually pass a law in Congress to let him keep this this snuffbox because they were so sensitive at the time to the idea that receiving gifts, even if you're not promising anything in exchange, receiving gifts like that is just going to make you eventually kind of feel owned. Let's
0: talk a little bit about the history of corruption in Illinois. Like, how did we get here?
1: We went from this place in the late 18th century where— you know the, the notion of taking a gift from anyone was viewed as automatically corrupting mm-hmm. to now we're in this place where like if we don't explicitly cut a deal this for that, then everything is sort of OK. Mm-hmm. And th- there's been a long trajectory. Like, for example, there were places that banned lobbying altogether that said that you couldn't pay someone to go advocate for you at the legislature because mm-hmm. – That's, you know, obviously corrupt and influence peddling. And then over time, people started to feel like, well, you know, but what if the lobbyists have expertise and what if we learn from them? And and those are all good arguments. But because there were good arguments that started to chip away at all these very, very, very strong anti-corruption laws, the end of that slippery slope is like there's nothing we can do. We can't even try. It's (laughs) just
0: slippery slope. I mean, you definitely just use slippery you're, you're a good teacher. <laughs> um,
1: but yeah, I mean the history of corruption in Illinois is long. There was um, this incredible episode in the middle of the 19th century where a governor, Governor Joel Matson, who the south suburban city of Matson is named after, was ultimately found with a shoebox full of what was called canal script, a shoebox full of IOUs basically – That he was embezzling. Why why was it
0: called
1: Canal Script? What What was that? It's a a long, crazy story, and I'll 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 do it real fast.
0: Okay.
1: (laughs) Um, It actually connects to our favorite Illinoisan, Abraham Lincoln.
0: Wow. State
1: Representative Abraham Lincoln. He runs for state rep in 1834 on this platform of we're going to build a bunch of stuff. We're going to build infrastructure. They called it internal improvements, not infrastructure. But we're going to build roads and waterways and railroads and— And so they passed a bill. Mm -hmm. He wasn't the only one pushing for it, but he was part of it, Mm -hmm. incredibly proud and enthusiastic. They passed this bill to set in motion all these projects. So two things happen in the course of trying to do all these projects. The first thing that happened was a giant recession. Mm -hmm. And the second thing that happened was a lot of corruption. The money kind of disappeared. And this was not an era when there was a single national currency and so there was the question of would we create the Bank of Illinois to set up our own currency for this. And at some point there were people trying to do work and there wasn't money to pay them. And so a special kind of – essentially like a currency, these IOUs or the script was issued specifically to pay folks to do some of this work and then that was supposed to be kind of redeemable for money eventually when the money showed up. Was it? Well, some of, uh, theoretically it was, but all, a lot of it just disappeared, period.
0: First of all, where did this money go?
1: Well, you know, <laughs> no one really knows. But there was, there was uh, a, lot of, a lot of disappearing money and there was also just a lot of poverty at the time. By the way, only one of these projects ever got finished, the Illinois and Michigan Canal. Everything else did not happen. Lincoln personally fell into this deep depression— because he felt like he had failed to make good on his one promise so, to his constituents.
0: Wait, how much money are we talking
1: here? I mean, the currency isn't even the same as the modern currency. I'm just
0: saying, back then.
1: Oh, I mean, in today's money, it was pr- it was probably billions of dollars. Oh, my God. It was, it was real money. It was, it was a big series of projects. Most of it never happened. Most of the money never even was raised, and much what less happened spent. to the people who
0: were involved in the money disappearing?
1: Well, the, the former governor, Matson, who was— actually caught with, I think it was, even in those days, it was $250,000 or something in this script. He was, you know, ultimately, I think there was a legal action. He was certainly disgraced and all that, though a city is still named after him. So I don't know.
0: <laughs> but not, not much of a disgrace, huh? The, yeah. <laughs> My aunt but used to the, live
1: this, in Madison. This,
0: what's that? <laughs> My aunt used to live in Madison.
1: Well, yeah. She's I'm, in Limwood now. Not far. Not far. She hasn't gone far. Right. (laughs) But but there was no Governor Linwood who stole
0: (laughs) quasi-real money. This is is true. This is true. Um,
1: Anyway, it's a really odd story, but it winds up with an ex-governor of Illinois, like, walking away with a shoebox full of money. Wow. And that was a long time ago. That was 150 years ago. Yet. Um, And yet that was not In our
0: not-so-distant history, you know, four of our eight- governors have ended up in prison. And how many corruption. state
1: legislators and yeah. how many city council members and, and so forth.
0: So it's, it's real. Um, real quick, though, give us an example of something that you feel like is legal, but should absolutely be illegal. Well, so something is happening in Springfield.
1: You know, the most famous example, I think, is a really good example, which is when these folks like Madigan and Burke are property tax attorneys making incredible amounts of money on the side.
0: You talked about who Madigan was in the last episode. Tell us who Burke is. Right. It's
1: Mike Madigan, Speaker of the House. Mm -hmm. Ed Burke, alderman of the 14th Ward. He's been on the city council for half a century. He is now uh, involved in a very serious uh, federal legal proceeding and may wind up in in real trouble, though he's— been close to being in trouble in the past and all yeah. seemed to get away with it. And, and by the way, it was just in the middle of that, um, he was reelected uh, with uh, over 50 percent of the vote against two other candidates. Mm-hmm. Um, but these and other people, by the way, they're not the only two. In trouble for what? So there's a Burger King in his ward. Yeah. And because of how being alderman works, and we may want to talk about this, by the way. Right, but I because agree. of how being alderman works— he kind of gets to decide the zoning and permitting for that Burger King. Yeah. And the ac- accusation is that he shook the Burger King owner down mm-hmm. for money or business in exchange for uh, allowing the permitting to happen. Mm-hmm. And what's super interesting about this is that the owner was from out of town
0: mm-hmm.
1: because the thing that's illegal isn't taking the business and doing the permit in, the thing that's illegal is actually cutting the deal explicitly. Mm-hmm. And I would argue that because the guy was from out of town and sort of didn't know how it's done in Chicago, he pushed back and fought. And that led to an explicit type of conversation that probably wouldn't have happened if the business owner had been someone who just kind of knows how things always operate in Chicago. And it's a perfect example of how the explicit thing that made it illegal wasn't the the bad part. Mm -hmm. The bad part is expecting the business or the money or the personal benefit in exchange for just doing your goddamn job as alderman. I think when elected officials have side business where they are personally getting wealthy on work that's obviously connected to government. That should be illegal, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I I agree, and I, I I'd imagine that a lot of listeners or a lot of a lot of the folks out there would would uh, would definitely agree with that too. Are there things in the structure of our state or our constitution in Illinois that kind of makes how how the things that you've kind of called out as corruption more prevalent?
1: I think Illinois government is kind of designed to be a uh, petri dish for corruption. And and let me give some examples. Um, you know, we talked about Ed Burke and then I mentioned that he gets to kind of decide what the zoning rules and the permitting are in his own ward. Now, that's kind of weird. That That's not a law of nature. That's just how it goes in Chicago and that's something My called aldermanic privilege, privilege that's, yeah. you know— It's a little unusual, frankly. And what that means is that if you're elected to the Chicago City Council, you're not really part of a 50-person deliberative body thinking about zoning and development and permitting. You're like the the lord of your own ward Mm -hmm. and you unilaterally make decisions there. Well, if you've got a small place with one person unilaterally making decisions and no check or balance, if that person is, uh, you know— Acting only with the public interest in mind, it may work out great. It may work out even better, by the way. But if that person is inclined to try to line their own pockets or help themselves, they just get to do it without any restrictions. And that, I think, is asking for corruption much more than if you had, you know, unelected kind of bureaucracies doing these things collaboratively or if the entire mm-hmm. city council all work together on these questions. And so—
0: And that is that is automatic privilege.
1: That's automatic privilege. OK. And we see that kind of thing all over Illinois government. And what, what I mean by that kind of thing is those, there's like a particular fiefdom somewhere. It's one thing inside the government that is kind of isolated and one person or a small number of people can make decisions there unilaterally. And those decisions can control where money flows. And so Illinois has more units of local government than any other state, and that's true. And, you know, you kind of hear that a lot from conservative activists like—
0: The thing that's running through my head, like, why do you think that's the case? Like, how are we structured in this way and and why?
1: I think that is a very convenient way to run a government if you're looking to create opportunities for corruption. That's exactly my point that Illinois government is designed to make corruption easier. And, and, and this issue of local government, right? Like, you know, there's Man. tons of like little library boards and drainage districts and it's, it's 7,000 different units of local government across the state. And, and usually when people complain about that, it's like kind of right-wing kind of economic advocates saying, you know, it's too much government. It's, you know, it makes taxes too high, this and that and the other. And, and what I'm saying is Putting all those debates aside, having all those different units of government creates a whole bunch of little fiefdoms where somebody is control in control of a little pot of money and probably nobody's watching.
0: So if Illinois government is designed to make corruption easier, then how could any politician really be truly operating in— the best interests of their constituents.
1: Well, let's, let's look at an example. It is because of aldermanic privilege, a member of the city council can do permitting based on what will enrich them personally. Something else an alderman can do is say, dude, this is amazing. I'm in charge of this. And so I can personally ensure that we will have the most equitable, progressive development pattern possible in this ward. It's not the case that the opportunity of corruption guarantees that everyone will be corrupt. In fact, many people won't be. But human nature is such that if everybody has an opportunity to be corrupt, plenty of them will. And of those who are, plenty won't get caught. Then it just
0: kind of makes me wonder, then, like, are these people really operating in, in the best interests of the people that they say that they're serving?
1: I mean, I would say that very few legislators in Springfield are doing it to line their own pockets. Some are, but most aren't.
0: What do may mean? would be lining in pockets. It could be like re-election or, you know, just something that's advantageous well, so to serve themselves.
1: Is trying to do your job in such a way that you'll be liked by your constituents or your stakeholders and therefore you get re-elected, is that corrupt or is that democracy working properly? I
0: don't know if it's democracy working properly. I think it's democracy working <laughs> I mean, mean, you know, this is a
1: really this is like to me, this is this is not a joke. This no,
0: a I, I agree with
1: you. Like, here's here's the way I think about this, right? Human beings are not. Human beings have these failings. Human right. beings have greed. Human beings have. Uh, the desire to look out for themselves and are often willing to step on others in order to look out for themselves. And any system you build is going to be susceptible to that. Right. And and when you build a government, you know I think most people feel like if you could have the right benevolent dictator, that's the best government of all. But if you if you don't have a real check of democracy, then the likelihood of some kind of profound corruption eating away at the system, I think, becomes greater. Yeah. And so if you don't – if you don't design the election process in such a way as to be a real check on corruption, then I honestly feel like why do democracy?
0: I I agree and that's why I answered the question like I did, right? Because what you're describing – is a system in which those checks and balances are actually not present. So, you know, if such is the case, then, I mean, the the system itself is designed to produce a particular outcome, and it is producing that outcome indeed, for sure, right? So you have these loopholes and opportunities for corruption, and people are absolutely taking advantage of it. Does that mean that everybody is? No, not necessarily, but people are absolutely taking advantage of it. So... How can we possibly have the type of democracy people are trying to reimagine and hoping for if the structure is inherently flawed?
1: You just have to fix the structure. How? One step at a time. You know, what you don't do is assume that the brokenness is necessary. Right. right. I think, I think we, we run into trouble when we wind up with this attitude that like, you know, it doesn't look great, it doesn't feel so hot, but we just have no choice but to have a system with this kind of transactional nature embedded into it.
0: But what, is, what part of that is necessary, though? Because from some of the things that you were describing, it sounds like, and, and this is not me having a vote for corruption, but it sounds like some of those things are necessary to get a particular job done,
1: right? I mean, again, I don't think any form of governance is ever going to be without transaction okay. because the way for it to be without transaction is if one person's in charge, and that's the centralization of power that's the most dangerous of all. Right. But I don't think the graft—I don't think the interaction between money, elections, governance, and uh, personal wealth of politicians is something that we need to live with.
0: OK, I'm not going to lie. This is, this is mad depressing. Like, and and disappointing on, on many levels, right? Um and I think, like, the biggest thing that is kind of rolling through my mind, and that's really the people, the impact that this is having on the people of Illinois and the people of Chicago, right? So I, I, I kind of want to just to take some time and think about who, who are the losers here, like, and what is the impact that this kind of corruption that we're speaking about today is having on just common folks.
1: I think this is the the question, and I think it's actually a super subtle question, right? So let's go back to good old Ed Burke. And, good old Ed Burke. <laughs> and, and it obviously doesn't feel fair that he gets a whole bunch of business because of who he's willing to give a permit to in his ward. We all know that's wrong. Right. But someone might say, like, Someone's going to get rich doing that business. And if it's not Ed Burke, it'd just be some other rich guy. And what's the difference? Who's being hurt? Who's the victim? Is this a victimless crime? Does it just look bad but not really hurt anybody? And I I think the answer is that it does hurt people. But Absolutely. I think it's, it's, it's subtle. I don't think it's it's so easy to explain why. But I think I think it comes in a few steps. First of all, if the services of government are – only available or at least more available to people who have the ability to somehow pay extra for them, mm-hmm. then anybody who can't pay extra isn't being served by government exactly. properly. So that's that's number one. Number two, which is I, I think a lot more kind of subtle and sort of in the weeds to explain, but it's, it's so important, is if the property tax system is designed to help certain people get a lot of savings by appealing their property taxes with politically connected lawyers so those politically connected lawyers can get rich, Mm -hmm. then somebody else isn't having their property taxes reduced. In fact, the property tax burden becomes enormously inequitable. And of course, we've now seen the data that we probably didn't need to see but now know officially demonstrates how... Broken and inequitable and regressive yeah, well, I mean, and racist, our that. property taxes. Absolutely,
0: we absolutely need to see that.
1: Well, I think we kind of knew, yeah. but but in any case, yeah. we, we now we now officially know, right. we're black and white. And so, if you have a system where the property taxes aren't about raising revenue, funding schools, creating a just economy, but instead are about enriching a particular collection of people, it is inevitable that everybody else is going to somehow lose. And it's not necessarily easy or even possible to write down the exact formula about who is losing and how much. But it's clear that when that many billions of dollars are moving through a system in a way that's got a vacuum cleaner pointed in a particular direction, sucking money out of the system. Everybody else who's not benefiting from that vacuum cleaner is being hurt.
0: Right. Okay. And so that that's the piece that I feel like a lot of people live and they know that, right? And so it actually... It's not a thing that encourages people to run to the polls and go be civically engaged. It's not a thing that encourages people to even want to be engaging in conversation around these things because they feel like, what is the point? What can people do and how do we keep people civically engaged in the midst of of this kind of chaos and enemy?
1: I completely agree. I think that's the biggest cost. That if government looks like it's only run for a few people, then there's no reason for anybody else to even try. Right. So, uh, f- first of all, I think it's important to organize and win specific fights, right? And you know, on this property tax thing, I think electing a new assessor was really important because it demonstrated that on this issue that had been sort of arcane and esoteric and people kind of complained about but did and really have necessarily details about what exactly was wrong. On an issue like that, an issue that was kind of at the core of how the machine operated, a real mass movement was built to, to change the outcome of an election. I, I think wins like that are very important to demonstrate that these problems aren't insurmountable. And then I just think, and I, I say this too often, I guess, but I just think making the system more interpretable so people have more places where they can make contact with the system and figure out a way in which they want to try to change it, Yeah, I just think that's essential. Otherwise, it feels like this completely smooth, inaccessible, sheer cliff of, of uh, intimidation.
0: Yeah, and I would just say just from the kind of vantage point that, that I have, I think, uh, just making, simply making this stuff more intelligible. Right. Like not everybody has ill-informed. Right. To kind of break things down for folks. And that was not to be a shameless plug by the podcast. But seriously, a like a relatively to, to, shameful plug. Actually. Yes, 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 yes.
1: <laughs> I think that's a good place to transition, because then the question becomes, what do we want to demand of these people? Right? Yeah, you know, exactly. There's elections happening all the time. Candidates running for different uh, levels of government. What? Is the right set of demands to make of folks that, if we got our way, would really change this stuff?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm gonna roll it to you. Like, I'm, I'm like, what do you like? What are your thoughts on that? Like, what is the right set of demands? Well,
1: I, I look. I think it starts with democracy, right? I think. I think the.
0: What does that mean? Like, let let's break that down. I just want to make sure that we all have this shared understanding of what we're saying when we say democracy.
1: So what I mean by democracy is to build a set of institutions that connect the actions of government as closely as possible to the will of the public.
0: Mm.
1: And I think it's not that hard to identify where that breaks down. Mm -hmm. What are the things that happen on the way from, hey, the public wants X to, wait, hold on, why did government do Y that caused that disconnect? And to me the the money in the campaigns is number 1. Yeah. I think that's that's something that is utterly crucial. I think building a government that is understandable, that is not so fragmented, that is not so opaque, that is not so kind of confusing and Byzantine in how it's put together that the public finds it easy to engage is you know, it sounds easy to say, but it's just something we fail at so, so badly. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I think that's that's a super important thing. I think real reform in terms of what lobbying looks like and who is represented in the room by lobbyists and what yeah. the connection between representation and money is, is super important.
0: Well, whew. That was a lot for one day. That was a lot for one episode, Daniel. How are you feeling?
1: I'm feeling like there's a lot to this subject. Yeah. How about you?
0: I agree. It's so
1: much more, but I think we covered a lot.
0: I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. You know,
1: I think... Your tone of voice is like, you know, you're feeling all right. Very soft and beautiful. Always beautiful, but also (laughs) just slightly dismayed right
0: now. Yeah, you know, it's kind of one of those things. It's, It's one of those things where, like... You know, it's a juicy topic, but also like very depressing. But also like I know that there's gains that can be made and, and progress. So I'm not so uh, discouraged by it. But I do I feel for people who are right. Um, and I and I, I just think I have this deep desire to to want to keep putting it out there that there are opportunities. For change,
1: so let's end there then. if yeah. you're if you're worried that someone's dismayed, let's each do our final thought what this conversation makes us feel about the actions that should give us all some hope.
0: I do think just getting involved from wherever you are. And when I say getting getting involved, I mean, just <laughs> local organizations in in your neighborhood, um on your block, right? Like, just these little things that can uh, that I feel like can be done that we've seen time and time again that have had a lot of, a great deal of success in the city of Chicago. I mean, we are an organizing town, right? What about you?
1: You know, I look at um, elections and I talk to people a lot and sometimes I feel like people have this kind of fetish about corrupt Chicago, like we love complaining about it so much that we don't really want to do anything about it because it's part of our identity and if you look at the history of corruption and representation in America it can really get better there are places in this country where the political culture has changed dramatically and become dramatically more lowercase d democratic and truly inclusive these changes can happen when people's reaction to the problem isn't resignation, but rather action. Mm-hmm. I think this is a time I for agree. action and a time for organizing, and that I makes agree. me feel very hopeful.
0: Absolutely, and and you, we cannot rest on our laurels. Uh, I think what one thing that
1: is, do we even have laurels to rest on? You
0: know what? I always wondered about that phrase. Like, what what are laurels? Are they arms,
1: uh, legs? No, I think they're they're it's a floral item from Greece, right? Is it? I
0: feel like I never knew that.
1: This is like they talked about this. No, I don't I'm I could be wrong. I'm frequently <laughs> wrong about Greece. Okay. Also so, Rome.
0: <laughs> um just real quick though, like we can't rest on those things that are from Greece, according to Daniel. Um, <laughs> um, I, I, I do think that that absolutely should should give us hope. But well, one thing that is a fact is, if we do nothing, it will stay the same.
1: It could get worse if you get a lot better and if you get a lot worse
0: that's true you're right I mean like no no change in the direction that we want to go but absolutely it could absolutely get worse so yeah cheers cheers to grassroots organizers and organizing and and the work of the good folks in the city of Chicago and the state of Illinois who are fighting the good fight right on every day right on Well, this is amazing. Um, And that was really loud, and I just blasted out Daniel's ears. But uh, thank you all for joining us on this episode of Ill Inform. We'll be back again next week uh, with—we'll tell you what we're back with when we uh, get to next week. (laughs) Later, guys. (laughs) Bye-bye.
1: Oh, we're both wrong. Got it. What did you say? I said it was like a flower thing. A from flower? Boys.
0: Oh, say, but it's a crown. Is it a crown? Okay, where is it? Oh, so it really was a, a flower thing. Mm. Okay, a bush.
1: <laughs> Hi there, this is Casey, co-founder of State Matters and producer of Ill-Informed. Thank you so much for listening and taking an interest in learning more about how this wacky stuff works in Springfield and how you can get involved to make the state better. If you support what we do, please consider making a donation at statematters.org. Even $10 makes a difference and also gives that little boost that someone out there is supporting the work we're doing. Again, you can donate at www.statematters.org. And while you're at it, rate and review this podcast to help more folks find us. Thanks.